Welcome to Battleground Community Church this morning. If I can get my iPad to work here. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. As we have taken a, a couple week, sort of what we call a park in the car, their spiritual car, in our journey through Romans, we hit Romans chapter 4, where Paul's emphasis His repeated emphasis is that we are saved by faith alone. And then he brings up this issue of circumcision, uh, which for the Jews was a big deal. And we talked about that. And, uh, And so big a deal does rites and traditions and ceremonies and all these things within the life of the church that we felt the need to sort of park the car here and say, uh, let's talk about baptism and let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Because we are mistreating baptism and the Lord's Supper if we get these things out of order in the life of the church. And to say that they don't bring salvation, that they are not, as some would say, salvific, they don't, they don't come beside of salvation. They don't come before salvation. They follow it. And it's, it's not to say that they are not important. We'll see today that they are critically important. Even the ramifications for not taking it in a worthy way will show us how important the Lord's Supper is in the life of the church. And so we just wanted to deal with this. And then next, next week, we'll put it back in drive and pick up right where we left off in Romans 4. But let's look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. And if you would, stand with me. Recall in your mind the context of 1 Corinthians that the church in Corinth, first of all, this is a letter written to the church. And secondly, that the church in Corinth, um, needless to say, had some issues and Paul was dealing with those. The Lord's Supper was one of those issues. And so let's hear what he said. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until you come. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that then when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as your, as your church, made up of many members. We all have our particular wonderful things going on in our life right now, those good things, these graces, and this, this happening. And Lord, we all have these crosses and hard times and sufferings that we are going through. I pray for my brother that asked for prayer this morning. For the healing that he needs in his body and in his soul and his mind, Lord, whatever that might be. Lord, many of us don't know what each other's going through. And I pray that you would not only reveal it to the body so that we can pray for it, uh, but Lord, that you would make us one in these things. When we suffer, we all suffer. When we rejoice, we all rejoice. But if we don't know each other, how can I rejoice? And how can I weep? And so, Lord, we thank you today. That you have given us a family, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've lost, no matter what we wonder about, no matter what kind of things we want to know that we will never know, we know this, that you are our father and the Lord is our brother and he gave it all so that we could be in his family. And so, Lord, we just want to celebrate that today, but we want to celebrate it the way you have told us to celebrate it. And your word is a guide for that. So give us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would rather than call it the Lord's Supper, call it communion. There are people that sometimes hijack good words and turn them into things and infuse them with meaning that the Bible never gave it. But communion is a good word. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It simply means participation, fellowship, sharing. it's, It's what we're getting at in this section of Romans This says believing brings belonging. It is believing and belonging that characterize what the life of a Christian is to look like. And yet, to understand this thing we call the Lord's Supper or communion, it has a context. And the context goes back into the Old Testament, even into Exodus. And we don't have time to look at that in detail this morning, but I do want you to Review with me in your mind and be challenged that if this story is not in your mind, that you need to go put it in there. Because the Lord's Supper will never be able to understood rightly unless you understood, understand the story of Israel, how they came to be in Egypt through the providence of the hand of God in Joseph's life. And if you remember in Exodus 1, there then rose up a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph nor his people. And they oppressed their people. They enslaved them. They enslaved them because they were so many and in so great a number that they thought they might take over. 
And so instead, they enslaved them. And so for hundreds of years, God's people were enslaved and they cried out in agony. And then enters on the scene through another amazing providence in Exodus chapter 3, a man named Moses. Rescued by God, raised in Pharaoh's house, gone away to to another land until he was a fairly old man to begin his ministry. In Exodus 3, verse 7, in Moses' burning bush experience, the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out to the land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then to Moses' surprise, right after that, he says, I'm going to send you to deliver them. We know that Moses was anything other than an eager leader, but he, he did what God said after some argument. So he goes back, and then you remember the plagues that come, the last of which was the most sober Warned over and over and over again, the Pharaoh was, that these plagues were going to come and these plagues were going to get worse. God had a plan. And so the seventh plague, that loss of the firstborn, they were warned in Exodus chapter 12. We have this this day called the Passover, that they were supposed to gather into themselves to prepare for the exodus, to prepare for their deliverance. This was part of their preparation, that they must take a lamb in and they must, must slaughter that lamb and put it on the lentils and there was food that they had to eat. And no, they didn't have time for the bread to rise and so the bread was unleavened. This is a critical part of understanding what we call the Lord's Supper. This was the context. It was the Passover that they must only be be rescued and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And then, fast forward years later into the life of Christ, there was a new covenant that was instituted. And in Luke 22... Verse 7, we see that. There might be a typo in your notes. It's supposed to be Luke 22. It says, Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. If you look down at verse 14, Then the hour came and he reclined at the table And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so that Passover that happened in the life of the Jewish people in Egypt was commanded to be celebrated throughout the years, to be remembered at this time. And it was at this time that Christ was to be raised up. You see, there were a people that was enslaved by sin And there was a God who saw and remembered his covenant. And there was a God who sent his own son to shed his blood. So he infuses 
the Passover with new meaning so that this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, would be something that we as the church would remember and celebrate until he comes. And I know many of you, you're your parents, and so when your child goes to the bathroom, maybe it's right before the mealtime, what are, what are all the mamas listening for when a child goes to the bathroom? Listening for that, first, yeah, I know, to flush the toilet. And, uh, but then you want to see that, even in that, this is a funny little lesson, it's supposed to be done in a certain order, isn't it? You want to hear the toilet, and then the sink doesn't do any good dear to sink they try to trick us up kids think they're funny and I did it too I didn't really wash my hands I just flipped the soap over so it looked wet because I was afraid you know daddy's gonna go in and say you didn't use no soap you tried to get by with it but in the same way here's this is what Paul is saying you are coming to the Lord's table with dirty hands And this is not like I'm going to eat and maybe get some germs in my food. There are things at stake here. There is a remembrance that must be done because of what it signifies. So how do we come to the table in a worthy manner? That's the question today. And so let's understand the definition. It'll be, I'll bring it up a couple of times. Uh, The definition, and this definition is coming out another, we had this book last week. This is called The Base, Church Basics. I I just can't think, I like to have these books on hand. They're out there in the the lobby today. Um, This one's called The Lord's Supper. It's a really good definition, similar to the one we had for baptism last week. The Lord's Supper is a church's act of communing with Christ and each other. And a commemorating Christ's death by partaking of bread and wine. And a believer's act of receiving Christ's benefits and renewing his or her commitment to Christ and his people. Thereby making the church one body and marking it off from the world. So I want to start with the negative and go to the positive this morning. The negative is this and may even catch us off guard. The Lord's Supper must not be celebrated. It must not be celebrated in, a, in this way. You see, verse 29, if you've got it, your Bible's open now to, to 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 11, verse 29. The Bible could not be any clearer here. It says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So then there is a way by which the Lord's Supper should not be taken. And the first off, and, and, I, and I may, there's been, it's just like baptism. There's some things I want to correct. And I'll put it in here in the beginning. This may, you just have to go back to Scripture and ask yourself, what does Scripture say? What does Scripture model? The Lord's Supper must not be celebrated Individually. Individually. The Lord's Supper is the church's act. The Lord's Supper is a communal act. We often think, because we got them set up there the way it's set up now, is these little pieces of bread and the the cup. 
But this was a communal meal celebrated as, as the gathered body of Christ. Most of the early church gathered in homes and they had courtyards and they would celebrate a meal together and the Lord's Supper was part of that meal. They were family. Most of them, it cost them everything to be a Christian. And all they had was each other. We treat the church as an option to do if everything else in our life will fit. We're not going to change any of that. But if it fits, we'll fit that. If not, so that just doesn't exist in Christianity. It's not what the Lord's Supper must not be celebrated. It's some kind of individual thing. In other words, I do not celebrate the Lord's Supper in my office by myself to get ready for the service. And neither should you. You don't do it in your homes. We don't do it on the street. This is an act of the church because of what it signifies. And to do it any other way is to rip it from its context and rob it of its meaning. The Lord's Supper is celebrated by the church as the church. A quote right from this little book. It's something that the entire local church does as one. We should not take the Lord's Supper individually, and we should not take it flippantly. Now, by flippantly, I mean the opposite of being reverent, the opposite of being serious or honoring is probably a better word. And you think, can I be serious and have a celebration? I don't know. How many people in here got married? They've been married yet. Was it a celebration? Was it serious? You ever been to a celebration of life service for someone who died? Was it serious? Yeah. Was it a celebration? You bet. It's a serious celebration. There's no flippancy. Matter of fact, listen to what it said. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 20. When you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So I, he's saying, I don't know what you were doing, but it's not communion. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise, this, this is the point, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? You begin to see that there was a greater point even to these communal meals than just eating. But they just treat it flippantly. Just whatever they wanted it to mean. They infused it with their own meaning. It's about their own particular group or sect. We'll talk about that in a minute. You see, the Lord's Supper is meant to be the overflow of a pattern of life that they carried into life together. This is not, this could be a, a complete farce as worship if we are not living a life of worship out from, from week to week and day to day. We bring those things in together and then they overflow onto each other as worship. In the Lord's Supper, the remembrance of the personal work of Christ is right in the middle. That is nothing to be flippant about. The Lord's Supper is not to be taken individually, celebrated individually, flippantly, or selfishly. What was going on in, their, in, the, in the church, and we know this if you studied 1 Corinthians at all, was a lack of unity. 
So this, it was beyond this disunity, a selfishness, verse 18. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine might be recognized. Divisions. What is what kind of divisions? He calls them factions. That, that simple word can mean a sect, a group, what we would call today a clique. They had classism was a big deal they, then. So you might have the most wealthy and the elite of the church gathering together to celebrate this meal and leaving the poor, the people who had nothing to bring to the table, just leaving them off to the side or, or just starting without them. This also can mean false teachers that are among them that are pulling out groups of people. We, and you've seen this if you've been in the life of the church long where people begin to have a church inside the church. He said, this is selfishness. Verse 33 tells us the opposite of that if you look at it. It says, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, wait for everybody. Why? Because we are one body and one family. It would have been like having our breakfast today and, and me and Micah said, you know, let's, let's get the good stuff for ourselves. Let's go ahead and eat. <laughs> and we just go ahead and start without you. Maybe we invited three of our other buddies and we just, and then you come in and the food's already consumed. Sitting there going, I thought this was a new member celebration. So the Lord's Supper was being Tainted People were coming together in an unworthy manner by their selfishness, by their flippancy, by their own individuality, but also because of their apathy. And this one's big. Apathy can look like two things in our lives. Like I said, I'm not talking about and don't just understand what we do at the table here in a few minutes. Talking about what you do all the time, your pattern of life. We can be apathetic towards God. First of all, the Lord's Supper is meant to be entered into with us reflecting on our triune God's redemptive plan. It should bring us two things to a humble gratefulness in that moment and, and should, should increase our fervor and our zeal for God when we walk through those doors. But also, and I, this was the one I, I can't stress enough. That's why the Bible speaks so much about forgiveness. We can be apathetic towards each other. You say, what does that look like when you come to the table? That we have no fear of God. When we come to the table and we are harboring unforgiveness and bitterness towards each other or other people. And we dare to come to God's table. He said, you are being apathetic to the cross. You have not thought about the cross. That no matter your cosmic treason, I forgave you. I forgave you. So before you come to the table, you contemplate me and you contemplate my son. And you forgive those who need to be forgiven. And then you come to the table. If not, it is absolutely just, just rebellious and apathy that would dare 
say, I, I remember what Christ did for me, but I will not give it to anybody else. He said, don't come to the table that way. There is a high cost, and I'm not making it up today. The cost to come to the Lord's table irreverently, selfishly, or apathetically is in verse 29. It says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and the blood, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now listen to what it says. I'm just reading the text here. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But we judged ourselves truly. We would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Christians are disciplined. Pagans are condemned. And both can happen at the Lord's table. Both are happening at the Lord's table. That's what it's saying. It's not saying this simply will happen. He's giving an explanation for what has already happened. This is why some of you are sick and some of you are weak or ill and some of you have died. The reason that they died was because you as a corporate body are coming to the table in an unworthy way and you don't think it matters, but God does. So it's sobering. He uses this word, you need to discern the body and blood of Christ. What does that word mean? It means you should carefully evaluate something. That's what discernment means. Or you should judge something over another as superior. These are two things. Which should I do? I'm going to exercise discernment between the two. This is the best. That's what I'm going to do. That's the, he said, you, miss, you must do that before you come to the table. That's why it requires a contemplation, a preparation before we come to the table. So, and I've heard this. Well, I, hear, I, I, see, I, see, I see what it's saying. Pretty clear. I think I best just err to the side of caution and not take it. The question is, are you a child of God? And if the answer is yes, then let us do what the Bible says. Text tells us, come to the table, but prepare yourself. So the Lord's Supper must be celebrated. In what way? Well, how can we safeguard ourselves? First, we must come to the, to the table to please God. To please God. Turn with me to John 5. John chapter 5. There's so much goodness in these texts that I had a lot more of the text in many of these, but I tried to shrink them down just for the sake of time this morning. All of these are worth going back and reading in their greater and beautiful context. John 5.23 says this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So we can't say, we can't give lip service that we, that we honor our God if we're not dealing rightly with Jesus Christ. It's no way. That's why other religions are not one of many ways. 
If you don't honor Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done, you cannot bring honor to God the Father and you cannot be right with God the Father. That's why we are justified by faith in Christ. Luke 22 says this, verse 19. For I tell you now that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he gave When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What we do at the Lord's table, we do to honor our God and to celebrate that his kingdom has come and that his kingdom will come. In your definition of the Lord's Supper that's in this book, it says that we should commemorate Christ's death. In the Bible, the Bible likes the word remember. The Lord saw what was going on in Egypt and he remembered. When, and it's an interesting study. You should do it sometime. Just, just run that word remember, remembering through your Bible all the way from beginning to end. And what you'll always see is that God is about to do something. He hasn't forgotten He's bringing it back up to his mind, the promises that he made, the covenants that he's made, the warnings that he has given, and he's about to act on that. When God remembers, he's about to act. And he tells us, I want you to remember the work of my son. If any of us have ever lost anything or lost anyone, you understand if you have worked through your grief that remembering is an important part of grieving. It's important if you've lost your spouse or if you've lost a parent, if you've lost a job, if you're retired, after you worked 40 years somewhere, you know that that to move forward means that you must remember. And when you remember, it brings you to a wonderful tool called gratefulness. And gratefulness has the power to help you move forward. That's what he's telling us. You need to remember There's things in life that's worth remembering and you need to remember those. But John 3.36 says this, The Father loved the Son and has given everything into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. The new covenant reality that does within the nature of a person gives us a desire, a love to obey God rather than man. And the first two things we begin to desire is first baptism, and then we want to come to the table. So we must celebrate the Lord's Supper to honor God. We must celebrate it more specifically this morning and centrally to celebrate our Jesus as our Lord and Savior because it was He who took this Passover, this holy season, and transformed it into a covenant meal of remembrance, of celebration, and of renewal. We said last week, baptism is not about rededication. Baptism is not about renewal. Baptism points to your justification is done once. The Lord's Supper is done every time we gather. It's done because celebration should be a daily thing. In the life of the Christians, we gather once a week and we remember, we celebrate, and we renew ourselves back to Christ. There is two elements in particular that 
the Lord transformed, highlighted in the Lord's Supper. The one is the bread. Or we could say this, the body. There is one loaf. Because there is one body. There is one loaf because there is one Lord and one Savior. There's not many loaves. It is unleavened because in Scripture, leaven was always pointing to that which is wicked and worldly and evil, almost always. Another good passage for you to have in your mind is 1 Corinthians 10. You need to look at that one. That one's a good one for understanding the nature of the Lord supper of this body and blood. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 16. Explain it a little bit as we go, if you don't mind. Don't normally do it, but it's important here, at least in the beginning. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless. The cup of blessing. That, that, that could actually mean, and there's a lot we could say about it, and I'm not going to this morning. I just want you to get just foundationally this morning. The cup of blessing was a cup of gratefulness. It was a cup of thanksgiving. So the cup of blessing, the cup of gratefulness, the cup of thanksgiving that we bless, it is not, is it not a participation? Now that's the word for koinonia in the Greek. It simply means fellowship, communion, a sharing. I think if you read the King James, where's my King James brother? There he is. It says communion in your Bible, don't it? Communion. I like that word. It's a good word. Somebody said you shouldn't call it communion. I'm sitting there going, that's what it means. I didn't pick the word koinonia. God did. It's a participation. I think one translation puts it's a sharing. And then what is it a sharing of? Well, look at the text. It is is a sharing of the blood of Christ. He goes on to say, the bread we break, is it not participation, a fellowship, a sharing, a communion in the body of Christ. Look at verse 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we partake of the one bread. And the one bread is our one Lord and our one Savior, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. That's what it means. You see, so all the negative should begin to make sense to you. Once you begin to understand the positive of what the bodies, what the bread signifies. Because there's not just the bread, there's also the blood, which we celebrate with grape juice or the cup. Just listen to these texts. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 10 says this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you. On the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. If you don't understand anything else in Leviticus, you need to understand that. Because this is why when we read Hebrews, Hebrews is trusting that you understand Leviticus. Hebrews 10, we've already read some of that. Just look at verse 10. Hebrews 10, 10. And by, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice of sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time when his enemies shall be made his footstools for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is what we remember. This is what we exalt. We recall it to mind with an intention of doing something with that which we call to mind. Jesus was our Passover lamb, bringing mercy when we did not deserve mercy. Jesus was our sacrificial lamb who, who poured out his blood in our place so that we could have life now and forever. We must celebrate the Lord's table. We must celebrate it to honor God, to honor Christ, to remember the body and the blood of Christ. But we must, we must, we must understand that it is given to us to display the church's unity because of Christ. This is part we have lost. It's the second part of our definition. It says that the Lord's Supper is a believer's act of receiving Christ's benefits and renewing his or her commitment to Christ and his people, thereby making the church one body and marking, out, marking it off from the world. You can see it in the very beginning of our passage today in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 and 18, because he says, when you come together, when you gather together, this is not just for any time. This is when the church gathers. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, this is distinct, a gathering for a purpose. We are not a country club. We are just not here because we have things in common. We all golf or we all hunt or we all whatever. We are here because Christ has saved us and he has gathered into one body those who are saved. We are the ecclesia of God, the gathering, his people. We belong to him. When he says, this is my body, Christ is not only, he's teaching us something. I am giving my body to gather one body. This is why we call it communion. It is a communion with Christ and his people. That's why when we take it outside somewhere, outside the church, we rob it of its meaning. It is communion with Christ. It is something that we enjoy and we experience with each other as we remember person and work of Christ. It is to experience anew this overflow of the gospel in our life as if that moment when we were first saved. It is to revisit that week by week and to let God's grace wash over you no matter what you are going through, no matter where you are, no matter how bad the preacher preaches that morning or how bad the music is, we are going to have communion. And in that we can rejoice. Amen. He gave it to us. He passed it down. Paul didn't invent it. He simply gave us just like the gospel. He, he passed on what was given to him. Without Christ. 
And without you, there is no communion of the saints. He died for his people. Romans 12, 5. 5 Romans 12, 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Excited John, that's 1 John 3. That's what we celebrate. That's what we call to mind. We call to mind the person and work of Jesus, but we also call to mind that we have been brought into a family. So we must take the Lord's Supper. Finally, to proclaim the gospel. Of all the things I could say about how to proclaim the gospel of our past redemption, can I just say this? Taking the Lord's Supper rightly in the presence of your children is the reason why we can say that the Lord's Supper is evangelistic. We are not making it evangelistic by letting your children participate in it, by going to the tables and turning it into into Kool-Aid time. No, that brings judgment on you as the leader of your home. We do it by rightly observing it. Because that's what they, that was the whole point if you read Exodus, I think it's 13. He said, you need to do this generation after generation after generation. You need to remind your children, this is what God has done for us. This is your job. This is not the church's job. This is your job as the parents and the grandparents to pass this on. And we do it by regularly, consistently gathering with the redeemed, coming to the table and saying, this is what God has done for us through his son. Present. We proclaim the gospel through remembering past redemption, but also present abundance. This is to say that the Lord's Supper has a renewing, a reorienting effect. The purpose of the Lord's Supper in our life is to help us reorient towards gratefulness to our Lord and God, towards service to His church, toward love for both God and other people. When, when we, before we come to the table and when, after we get through at the table, you should have nothing that you can write down to say, I am so ticked off at that. If you do have that, you came to the table in an unworthy manner. The Lord tells you, leave your offering on the floor at the altar and go make it right. And then come to the table. He didn't tell you to just say, well, I'm not going to go to the table because I'd rather hold on to my bitterness than allow Jesus to remove it. He says, you go get it right. You go get it right right then. And then you come and so offer You see, that's how it reorients us. It is in itself the place that if you feel like you need to be rededicated or you need to be renewed, it's why we offer a couple of songs as we celebrate the Lord's table for you to be able to do that. Listen, walking down aisles and stuff is fine. We built, an, we built a raised platform if you need to come up here and pray. But sometimes you need to deal with your God right where you are. 
And that's what the Lord's table is for. It's for dedication and renewal. It's to remember he forgave me. His body was given for me. His blood was shed for me. Look who God has brought into my life and given to me. And to renew that commitment in gratefulness to Christ and his people afresh and anew. We remember also our future salvation, our future glory. The Lord's going to return. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26, you need to do this as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until you come. The old guys, the ancient writers called it the eighth day. And the church gathered on the first day of the week to look forward to a day that is coming called the eighth day. The eighth day is when the Lord returns. The eighth day is when the Lord sets up a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will reign, where the Son will be replaced by Christ Himself and there will be no need to go to bed at night. There will be no need to have needs because Christ will be all in all. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things passed away. Verse 22, he goes on, he says, I saw no temple in that city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb and this city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates shall never be shut by day. There will be no night there. there will, they will bring into the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. And nothing who does anyone detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This we remember at the table. We're going to keep celebrating the Lord's table until the Lord comes back. Until all that is wrong will be made right. And whether he comes back or whether I go to him, I'm going to keep celebrating until he comes. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, what we are going to do now is celebrate the table. We're going to do it differently. We're going to, we're going to let you stay in your seats this morning and, and your leaders are going to serve you as we worship. And so I'm going to pray and ask the praise team to come forward. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you and thank you for your word that tells us how we should worship that tells us how that we should honor you and your son 
Lord, I thank you that you don't leave these things up to us, Lord, but you give us here how we should, what we should do in the life of the family of the redeemed. And so, Lord, now, honor us as we follow what your word tells us to do, to come to the table in a worthy way. I would invite you as we get ready to come to the table today uh, to uh, brothers y'all can just sit up here and wait I'm going to I'm going to prepare I, we're going to fence the table first and uh, I would invite you to open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians 11 let that word inform what we're about to do um, there we as pastors call this time right here fencing the table. Um, it is the idea of having a sword to make sure that nobody comes to the table in an unworthy way because we love you. Because we believe what this word says here. And so I'm encouraging you today, if you don't know Christ, today's the day of salvation for you. The gospel has been preached Faithfully, week by week, both the ordinances celebrate the gospel. If you've been here the last two weeks, you've heard the gospel. The Bible says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. But if you are a believer today, what the Bible tells us to do in verse 28 is that we must examine ourselves. We must examine ourselves. 1 John 1 9 says this, written to believers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. And so, brothers and sisters, as, as the praise team begins to play a little bit, let's pray. And, uh, and after this prayer, we'll, we'll pass the elements. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to be quiet for a little bit and let us deal with our God, and then I'll, I'll pray. Lord, we come to this time to still our soul, to love you with all of our minds and all of our hearts and all of our souls, to allow ourselves to begin to remember the person and the work of your Son who gave everything for us, to remember now the application of the work of Christ and the sanctification that he has begun in our life to make us more like his son. Lord, you are working in our lives. And yet, Lord, we know and we all know, we all confess here that there is very specific sins that we have in our lives that we need to lay before you. And so, Lord, before we come to the table, before we, we receive the cup and the bread, we come and ask for your forgiveness. Not as children to get cast out of the family, but as precious children who have a father who longs and loves to forgive and to restore. So, Lord, we come and lay those things specifically 
not generally. Remind us now, Lord, of what they are. Remind us of those people that we have something against. Remind us of this bitterness we've been carrying around for years. And bring repentance into the house of God today. Forgive us, God. When people hurt us and we didn't deal with it the way you told us to. Lord, there are some things we can't, get, we can't deal with. And so we give those things and those people to you to do what is right. But Lord, as, as, as it is with us, Lord, we long to live with peace with everybody. And so, Lord, forgive us. Restore us. Remind us of the great sacrifice, but also of the great love that motivated that sacrifice. And allow that to wash over your blood-bought people. Renew us now, Lord. Reorient us towards the gospel. Let us not be in a hurry to be done with the service. For we are before you. And our lives are bare right now before you. And you love us anyway. We don't want anything between us and you. I don't want anything between these folks in front of me and you. And so, Lord, bring us to that which you promised us. That you would remove our sin as far as the east and the west. That you can break the concrete of bitterness right now. So that we come to table with joy. We thank you in advance. We thank you right now for this cup of blessing that gives, that reminds us of the salvation that we have, but also renews and restores and refreshes us in the, in the walk that you have called us to walk. And so now, Lord, as we pass the table, pass the plates, Lord, would we be in a, a mode of celebration and remembering in Jesus' name. Amen.